This is Dave, and I'm here with Ethan, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al Podcast, episode 38-inch. On this episode, we have part two of our interview with vocalist and longtime Weird Al collaborator, Lisa Popeil. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al Podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al Podcast. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. Weird Al you don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Dave, you know what's happening on Saturday? The weekend starts. Yes, and... The next day is Sunday? And... Oh, well, we're interviewing Jonah Ray, host of Mystery Science Theater 3000, in front of a live audience before a screening of Weird Al's cult comedy film UHF at Proctor's in Schenectady, New York, starting at 4 p.m. And? And it's the day I'm going to give you the $5 that I owe you. You bet you are! I can't wait! For the five bucks? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I I mean, I, yeah, yeah, but I, I, I'm excited to see Jonah and, and do the screening and the interview and, and all that. Uh, Dave, we've never really done an interview in front of other people before. I wonder if we're going to have stage fright. <laughs> well, now I'm going to have stage fright. <laughs> you didn't tell me there were going to be other people there. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be in front of a live audience. And we're going to be interviewing Jonah Ray. We're going to be playing some of his music videos because we have access to a giant screen behind us. It is going to be so much fun. People that are going, that have their tickets, they are just like, freaking out i wish i could see the event but you know i am part of the show you're gonna see the event but just to have a different view from everybody else that's true yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh it's gonna be so much fun i'm really looking forward to this it's gonna be pretty stinking majestic that is the absolute best way to describe this event so as everyone knows because we've only been talking about it for 500 episodes (laughs) saturday january 25th schenectady new york dave you and i are going to be doing a live interview with jonah ray host of mystery science theater so many things actor comedian host so many things we're going to be talking to him live in person we could reach over and touch him if we wanted to but we won't (laughs) Because that is part of the contract, Dave. Um, And we are going to talk to him. We are going to eat some Twinkie Wiener sandwiches, the vegan variety. There's going to be Yankaritas. And, of course, we, along with all of our close personal listeners, fans, and friends, are going to watch a screening of UHF on the big screen. It's a screen that is 2,000 inches big. It is a huge screen. Pretty much 2,000 inches. I <laughs> we'll put an asterisk there because I don't know how many inches it is, but it's a big screen. <laughs> oh, it is going to be so much fun just to be in a room with all Weird Al fans, all Jonah Ray's fans, and just watch UHF together. And all of our fans and watch UHF together. And you know what's so cool? We have a custom poster that was designed by... Our good friend Jeff McClelland and his friend, who I'm sure is our friend by osmosis, Andrea Shiavone, and they did an amazing job on this event poster. Yeah, this poster is so pretty. It's just, if you haven't seen it yet, head on over to 
patreon.com slash 2000 inch. It's up there. It's a very limited run and we're going to have screen printed copies available at the screening and we're going to make a few of them available to our listeners online. If you want them, hurry. They're going fast. There's not a lot left. No, there really are not many left. So if you want one, make sure you let Ethan or myself know or send an email to frank at 2000inch.com to reserve one because once they're gone, that's it. They are gone. They are going to look so amazing in your collection, hung on your wall, to cover your textbook, to wrap gifts for Father's Day. They're going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) And they're big enough to cover up that hole in the wall so you can replace your Velvet Elvis with one of our Dave and Ethan's (laughs) 2008 Weird Al Podcast UHF screening posters. Or, better yet, you can make another hole in your wall. (laughs) (laughs) Dave, anyone who can't make the event but really wants an autograph from Jonah Ray, I'm sure we can hook them up on the poster. You think Jonah Ray will sign my forehead? I hope so. (laughs) Do you think if you had Jonah Ray sign your forehead and then you got that tattooed, would Al be jealous that he just got your leg? (laughs) And then are you going to have a portrait of Jonah tattooed over your own face? Yes. I'm going to have a full-size portrait of Jonah's face tattooed over top of my face. So Jonah and I can be twins. <laughs> well, folks, you can't miss that. Get your tickets, uhf.2000inch.com, or just head over to proctors.org, or just go to Proctors, and you can buy them in person if you really must. And you got to do that quick, because that event is this Saturday. That's only a couple days away. So you have until Saturday to get to Proctors in Schenectady, New York, to join us in this amazing event. So we talked about how limited this poster run is. There's only 40 of them in the entire world. And of course, people are already asking me, what is going to happen to poster number 27? Hey, Ethan, what's going to happen to poster number 27? Well, I'm glad you asked, Dave. We are going to be doing a special raffle at the event. Inexpensive tickets, bonus stickers and prizes. There's going to be other cool prizes you can win. We're going to do this limited raffle, and the winner will have the choice of choosing poster number 27. I'm entering the raffle. I don't know if that's illegal, Dave, but I really want poster number 27. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure everyone would be like, hey, if I won, but I really want it. Yeah, I don't think you're allowed to enter. (laughs) Okay. Well, if anyone wants to enter and then they decide they want to trade, wink, wink, let me know. (laughs) Can Frank enter? I don't think so. I think he's an official employee of Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Out podcast. So unless we fire him, which, you know, isn't out of the possibility (laughs) for Saturday. I don't think he's allowed to enter. I'm actually not sure. Dave, is Frank going to be at the event? He told me he was going to be there, but he might make some lame excuse like, you know, his car doesn't have gas because I siphoned all of his gas out of his car earlier today. But, you know, that's just a lame excuse. Dave, how else are you supposed to get gas? You're not expected to drive a mile and a half to the gas station. Oh, heck no. (laughs) I'm not going (laughs) to... If he's parked in your driveway, that's pretty much the same thing. I agree. And Ethan, this weekend is going to be so much fun because not only are we having our screening of UHF with a live podcast with Jonah Ray, but you and Jonah Ray will also be performing three comedy shows this weekend. The first one is tomorrow, Thursday, 
January 23rd, you will be at the High Low in North Adams, Massachusetts. Then the next day, Friday the 24th, you'll be in Glens Falls, New York at the Park Theater. And then on Saturday the 25th, directly after our screening, in the same venue, you and Jonah will have a separate stand-up comedy show. All of that is at Proctor's in Schenectady, New York. I cannot wait. And I don't know if I told you this, Dave, but Jonah is going to be performing his Weird Al punk covers at these comedy shows. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to be coming to some of those comedy shows as well. Are you going to be performing with us? Hey, if you ask me to, I might. (laughs) Do you have an act? Yeah. I yodel in the nude. You're hired, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) That is going to be such a fun weekend. So for those tickets, you can go to the respective websites of the venues, the High Low in North Adams, the Park Theater in Glens Falls, and Proctor's in Schenectady. We had a lot of great feedback on the first half of our interview with Lisa Popiel from last week's episode, episode 37 inch. So without further ado, let's get right back into the second and final part of our interview with the great Lisa Popiel. I wanted to actually roll back to what you were saying about Al moving forward, you know, how he has said that he's not really looking to do albums. He's more looking for inspiration. And I wanted to get your, and I guess, Dave, your thoughts too on, you know, part of Al is just the great, you know, I want him to be inspired to write something. But the other hand, you know, some of these songs that we've heard about, like Girls Just Want to Have Lunch, where it's, it's sort of forced upon him, yet he comes out with you know, something amazing, at least in my opinion, for that song and Dave's opinion for that song. Do you think, though, having that sort of pressure from the record label, from the time constraint point of view, do you think that we are going to lose um, an aspect of some of Al's music and genius of being able to turn, you know, coal into a diamond rather than just, you know, creating a beautiful piece of art on his own time? Well, I would think there'd be fewer deep cuts, fewer B-sides. Mm-hmm. If he's only going to do a song every so often it's going to be a big song it's going to be a song people are really knowledgeable about so I would say there'll be more people pleasing songs on the other hand he might have more time to craft one song instead of feeling pressured to write nine or ten I don't it's a really good question I'm uh, I'd be curious what he'd have to say. Let's get him on the line. Okay. Let's, Let's see dial what he him has up. to say about this. <laughs> but I, I'm sure that the pressure from the the constraints or demands that he write so many songs in a certain amount of time, it, it's going to impact something versus saying, I'm going to do some one song because I really want to. Right. I don't know. Maybe there maybe – you know he works well under pressure, and maybe there have been no no problems with writing under pressure versus writing for pleasure mm-hmm. and for the fans only. So maybe it'll be a new era also, of Al music. Maybe it'll be even better than we've ever could imagine. And it also people wanting it and just waiting for that. When's the next song <laughs> coming out? Just the excitement that builds up. <laughs> Also, I think a lot of young people are having grown up in an album culture, so That's they're true. they're very comfortable with this idea of one song at a time. 
Um, I was surprised at the audiences. I thought that there would be more older people, meaning late 50s, 60s, mm -hmm. and I thought there'd be more kids. Because I remember years ago going to the shows in the 80s and 90s and seeing more young people. I did see young people, but not as many as I expected. The audiences this summer were predominantly in their 30s hmm. and a lot of couples. I was surprised about both things. And I guess maybe they're in their 30s because they grew up and saw the videos in the MTV. They were kids when they watched the videos on MTV in the 90s. When were you guys really introduced to Al and watching his videos? Was it in the 90s? It was the late 90s for me. I was nine or eight or nine when I got introduced to Al's music, you know, Bad Hair Day, and then followed by Running with Scissors when that came out in 99. Yeah, I mean, I was 10 years old, but I was 10 years old in 1984, so my first experience was with the in 3D album. Yeah. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot to that, to fans growing up with Al, and as Ethan mentioned earlier, once you become a Weird Al fan, you're a Weird Al fan for life, so you do grow up with him, and you do introduce your kids and your other family members to Al, so that's the kind of the turnover you see at or at least that from going to the concerts that I've been to, the turnover I see at concerts is you see the family and then they bring their kids and then their kids grow up and then they bring their kids and so on. It's like the Olympic torch where it's like you have the Olympic <laughs> torch and it's always, it, there's always the flame going, but that same flame, you know, is spread around and eventually everyone has that flame burning within them, the owl flame. Oh, we need a song just for that. Yes. Um, <laughs> but seeing the couples, the couples were enjoying him and, uh, there was a couple that I met previously. It's a really funny story to me. So one year ago, I was in Hawaii in Kona, and I was with, with my husband and a girlfriend, and we were sitting by the water having a lovely breakfast, and next to us was a couple in their they, – they were actually in their 40s, but they looked like they were in their 30s, forever young Al fans. <laughs> and anyway, they, they were talking about Al, and I thought – Oh, come on. This is, how does this happen in Kona? <laughs> so I, so I said to, to Bill, I said, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to talk to these people. And I started talking with them and they didn't, they hadn't, they said they were um, super fans, but they didn't know my name. They didn't know me. Right. But we, we just hit it off. They were so funny and delightful. And they lived in a small town. They live in a small town in Utah. Wow. And I told them that I was going to be on the tour and, uh, they were just so excited. We took pictures. I said, I'm going to send this to Al so he can see that, you know, he's got random fans <laughs> in, in Hawaii visiting from Utah. And they came to the show in, uh, in Las Vegas. They drove several hours this summer to see the Las Vegas show. And they stayed, they were VIPs, and they stayed a, lot, a, a long time to be able to get photos with Al. And they sent, they sent me the nicest text afterwards. They said, you know, Lisa, for you, this was maybe just another show. But for us, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And, and, you know, how much it meant, because I, I, uh, I think I had gotten them. Uh, free tickets and they were just so so grateful and we still stay in touch and they have friend friends and family members who who dress up as al for halloween uh. so they sent me pictures it's a whole family <laughs> affair oh that's so, so cool. it's you know and i have i'll always have a feeling of closeness to these people that i met randomly 
at a restaurant, you know? <laughs> I, I will say shame on them for calling themselves Al fans and not knowing you. I'm just going to have to get that Thank out there. You. <laughs> Thank you. They know me now. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. <laughs> so I want to go back to the Strings Attached tour and particularly Weasel Stomping Day. So up on Weasel Stomping Day, you're wearing a Viking helmet <laughs> up on stage. <laughs> One of the funniest things. So what is the experience like up on stage for you? Because you're facing the audience the entire time. You're seeing arm-waving in Amish Paradise. You're seeing Al out in the audience during Tacky. <laughs> you know, you're seeing cell phones in the air during Don't Download This Song. What is it like being up on stage looking out in the audience? Oh, it's so many things. Let's see. I personally liked it best when I could see the faces. Yeah. I like to watch the audience enjoy themselves. When I couldn't see the faces, when it was completely dark, it's much more dreamlike. Uh, and <laughs> when you're moving around like that and singing, there's, um, and you're playing a character, because I want to say that, because I'm playing a different character for each of the songs. Uh, for instance, uh, in Weasel Stamping Day, I, I tried to have like this big, s silly smile, like kind of <laughs> righteous, like I know everything about everything smile, but I'm actually from a really small town and I've never been anywhere. Um, <laughs> yep. And you're not familiar with Lisa Popeil? <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Um, or in, you know, or, or I'm playing more serious or uh, in Amish Paradise, I tried to, to look um naive like I, <laughs> like I, it, like I really I know I don't know anything about the outside world and you know just kind of really nice and young and uh, innocent so I try to have different facial expressions at least I don't know if that was visible but that was my goal so I'm playing a character whenever you're acting um, it, it's a weird state because you feel like you're in this zone. You are you, but you're not you. So it's not like I'm there and I'm being me and I'm, I, I'm actually it, trying to do the whole character and, and trying to, to be as real in that character moment by moment as I can and also just remember the timing. So at the same time, your brain is aware of, of timing and lyrics and when I'm putting the Viking hat on, and um, <laughs> there were a few shows where I had to put the Viking hat on both yes. Al and Jim. So yes. I, beforehand, I realized I got to tell them, I because I have to tell them that I'm going to be putting it on both at the same time. So please, guys, get low and put your heads together. Otherwise, there's going to be a mishap. So, you know, there's... there's there's mechanical things to think about. Also, dancing and not whacking Monique, who's center. I'm on, on, right. on her right because she she was big with the she knows she knows how to shake that stuff, and so she get her elbows out there, and so that I you know I did get sustained a few bruises, work injuries related to dancing. So we have to be aware of your surroundings and also not stepping off you know, or falling off the stage. Right. There were some really windy nights where they had the, they had, uh, we had these pl uh, plastic shields behind us so that the orchestra's sound wouldn't, wouldn't bleed into our, uh, our mics because sound management was, uh, was a thing and it took a while 
for, of several shows for them to figure out how to make it it work because it was a completely new sound environment yeah. for an Al show. So it was kind of deal with you know fix it as as the problems come up. So they we had this big plastic shield, but it could fall over. So. Hawkeye, who was the stage manager, had this thing rigged up with straps. And when I'm getting off the stage to go to get the, the for instance, the, the Viking helmets, you could easily trip over this strap. So, you know, just just not falling. Also, there was on uh, with there was times like um, in spells like Nirvana, where Al throws the mic and the mic stand on the uh, on the stage and it's very dark and so we one of us girls could have easily tripped over this right and so there was there was a time when i had to just stop because uh, on the stage as i was leaving because i couldn't see it was too dark <laughs> and i didn't want to trip because that would have been worse but then al had to get out to, for a costume change so there's you know we but we worked out the bugs so eventually they uh, the the tour manager would come out and and listen, she'd grab the mic stand. So, you know, it, you, you solve problems. There are always problems. Right. That's life. And you solve the problems as you go until by the time at the end of the tour, it's, you know, it's a finely honed watch. You know, it's, it, everything works <laughs> perfectly. Um, unfortunately, the, the people in Florida, the first five shows, you know, they got the, we're working stuff out, but we'll give it our all <laughs> kind of shows. Uh, but um, it's what, what's it like to stand there? There are times when you uh, when you're on stage when you're you're really in a dream state. You're seeing the lights. You're seeing the um, movement in the lights, uh, like liquid in your eye or something that's projected onto the lights. And so it's very psychedelic sometimes. And then there's the smoke. Um, so there's times when you think, am I awake? I'm, I think I'm singing. Oh, I am singing, but right. I'm not completely awake. It's just my mouth is moving, my face is moving, and my I'm dancing, but I'm I'm not really right. awake now. Right. I'm really half asleep. You're hypnotized. Um, <laughs> hip, there's that. It, it's just surreal is the word that describes the overall standing up there. I can't believe I'm doing this. And there were times, too, when it's like, how many more songs do we have till the end sort of thing? Like, you know, if you're tired, you're, I'm thinking, how many more songs till the end? But it doesn't take, did not take away from giving 100%. It's just multiple brain processes going yeah. on at the same time. <laughs> and you're, you, you're in and out of consciousness. Because <laughs> I never wanted to look like, I was phoning it in, or even if I was, I never wanted, I always <laughs> wanted to look like, like this every moment is what my life is about. And it's always about the audience. When I, as a voice coach, when I'm working with singers, there's a new trend in singing, which I don't like. And that is to be super introverted, to sit there and sing really, really softly and have my eyes closed. And the only way I move is because it feels good to me. And I don't like that. To me, that's not a performance. A performance is, it's always about the audience. Right. Giving them their money's worth. Making this show the, the night of a lifetime. And this new trend with this sort of what's called whisper pop, which is like, I've got a big voice, but you'll never hear it because I'm just going to sit here and act really, 
depressed and introverted and alienated. That's like this new stylistic thing. That to me is like you could do that in your bathroom. You don't need an audience for that. I want to make sure the audience is excited all the time, not bored for a second or drifting off. Well, then there's this mumble rap that's now big too. And I, it's kind of weird. I mean, I almost feel like, you know, the three of us, we're, we're becoming your music teacher who's like, you know, only classical is good. We're like, well, you know, we don't understand why you want to hear this music where you can't hear the music. But maybe maybe we're wrong. Maybe it's good. Who knows? I don't I know. So. We're showing our age, aren't we? It's like, we are. oh, those young people, they don't know what they're missing. Right. <laughs> But to me, rap, there's only good thing about rap, if anything at all, is, okay, I'm just going to say it, I'm just going to be blunt about it, is the lyrics. And if I can understand the lyrics, then there's nothing good about it, and it's not singing. So, but but there's other stuff, and I've got new students who I really want to help, but I tell them right away, I go, you know, I do have my biases, but it's based on on what is what lasts. If you're a singer who has one hit song or has a small cult following and you're fine with that, but keep keep in this sort of small world of, of small performances, but it, you know, and this a small way of performing. I said, but if you want to be remembered as one of the greats and, and it's going your your art and your songs are going to be enjoyed for generations to come, you really have to open your eyes and you have to put out energy. You have to make that make sure that everyone in the audience feels seen and that you're projecting your voice now maybe not on every note but putting your energy out there and and able to have vocal um vocal versatility because if it's always just one sound it it can be boring it could be an exciting sound but if that's the only sound you can make you may lose some people now uh, there are some people that say well like you know, ACDC, you know, Bruce Johnson, he, you know, it's always one sound, but he's so charismatic. So I guess charisma is a really big part of it. And uh, regardless of what artistic choices you make or vocal choices you make, charisma is a huge part of it. And when I see the photos of, of us at the ends of the shows and I see Al's face, I see how happy he is, mm. I realize I realized then this is why he does it. It's so deeply rewarding to him because he'll finish a tour and then immediately start planning <laughs> the next right. the next tour. <laughs> and I thought, why? Why? It was so exhausting. And those photos of his face and of the charisma light shining out of his, his face and how beautiful he looks in those photos at the ends of the shows, no matter how tired he may be, you don't see that. You see joy, pure, unadulterated joy and love and appreciation for his fans. Um, that's why he works as hard as he does. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think we all did. But you really see it in him because he works much harder than any of us are. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We loved watching you up on stage. Ethan and I often commented on you during our reviews and everything you were doing up there. But one thing we were concerned about for you was during – you don't love me anymore when he smashes the guitar at the end. <laughs> were you ever scared? <laughs> well, we were in that um, 
the, the shards of the guitar. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, particularly Scotty, because she was closest to it. So, yes, there was some concern that it, that it would hit her in the, in the eye. Um, but otherwise, it was shtick. We were right. just doing shtick about, right. like, unexpected. <laughs> like, we didn't know he was going to do it. And, like, we're just, like, shocked and abhorred that, you know, he, that this thing just happened. And we were not prepared for it. So we're acting like little girls. Um, I, I hope it came off like oh, that, did. like that we were really, oh, yeah. that we were really shocked by it. I'm surprised he did it because the, some of these theaters are classic theaters that people do ballet on. And I thought, wow, this is, is and I asked him, I said, have you ever been, have you ever gotten into trouble with the management? He goes, no, <laughs> no, no, it, it, I guess it doesn't damage the floor enough. When he, there was a one guitar that he could not smash. And so he stepped on it. Oh my God. <laughs> he stepped on it and that smashed it. And I thought, well, that's a brilliant idea. He should just, if he has, you know, let's say he gives it two times and it doesn't, doesn't smash, he oh, should wow. just step on it. Because otherwise he's up there, you know, and we're running over on our time. We're very tight time schedule. We had to, had to be an hour and a, and a half and no longer than that. Otherwise, there were huge fines for the orchestra. So, um, so I think he started incorporating that strategy that if this darn thing is not going to break, I'm stepping on it. I don't think I saw it. Dave. Did you see anywhere he stepped on it? No, I was not at that concert where oh, he stepped on. Man, yeah, yeah he, yeah, he stepped on it a few times when it was just too well made. You know, they would try to get these, you know, the cheapest guitar they could. Right. And uh, but some of them were better, better made than others, and they just wouldn't smash. <laughs> That's so great. But we all would work stuff out. Like, for instance, the way I would walk when I came on stage, you know, this kind of little sashaying, sauntering thing. Yeah. I didn't just want to walk on stage like, okay, I'm walking on stage. No, it's like, oh, this is, we're cute. We're the girls. So that's why I got that idea. And I, I'm assuming the girls behind me did it too. I don't actually know if they, they did. walked on oh, stage with their hands out like I did but they I thought did. let's let's do an entrance like hello everybody we're here <laughs> that kind of thing um, but a lot of the choreography was was based on um, Monique because she's actually a really talented natural choreographer oh so the the a lot of the I'm trying to think of the one that we really worked out the pom-poms yeah uh, maybe she'd been a, a a, a pom-pom girl in the past but that whole pom-pom choreography she worked out and she did it at home and she made a little video of it and then we practiced it and and perfected it but uh, total kudos to Monique for for our pom-pom routine and then when we would come off stage and throw our uh, pom-poms on out it was always different we would just feel it that yeah. was that was not really <laughs> choreographed we just do whatever felt Felt right. Just try not to hit him in the face. Right. <laughs> it was doing the um, the choreography and the you know the hand movements and that kind of thing. Was that something that Al was like, "Hey, it'd be great if you guys did it," or was it just something just kind of on your own you guys put together? I think we put it together. There was one spot where where he told us just to stand there. Um, oh, okay. Very at the very end, uh, in the. Oh, the James Brown section. It's right after Amish. The Amish vamp. And yeah. the Amish vamp, right. And it's the James Brown 
section, and he says to the audience, do you want some more? Uh, there was a time when, when we girls behind would be like trying to, even though he was standing there still, we were trying to get the audience to be louder with their mm -hmm. hand gestures. And I guess he saw that on a fan video. Mm. And he said, just stand there, just like I am, just totally stand there. So aside from that, I don't think he had a ton of input into our choreography. Um, but I just remembered that one. So ever, And that happened about midway. <laughs> and, and then from then on, we just stood there. Uh, so he was... Yeah, he just let us do our, our thing for the most part. That's so cool. And trusted that we were we, we were doing a, a good job. You guys certainly did. It was so much oh, fun. Oh, you're so nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we cared, you know, and I think that makes a big difference. Um, there's, like I was saying before, there's some performers who, it, it, they just look like they're there for the money you know it's like another mm. sh another town another show right and maybe when you're doing a show and you're you're doing it for a year maybe that's gonna happen you know but it's a three months it's a short tour um you're not burnt out uh so i i don't know if we had done a six-month tour would we have had that same flavor and flair i hope i like to think we would have because again my commitment is always to the audience even when I'm doing a presentation at a conference and I'm doing a PowerPoint presentation I'm still singing while I'm doing it and I'm telling jokes and I'm <laughs> I'm not trying to tell jokes but it's like a stand-up routine and people love that they remember the material better too as, as a as a teacher they remember it if they're la if they're laughing at the same time. They have the more favorable response to right. your information, <laughs> even if it's not what they believe in. If you're putting on a show, so that's one of the reasons I I enjoy traveling as I do. I've got like six European trips planned already for next year, um, to 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 teach at conferences and workshops. Uh, but the conferences, uh, I, I love, it's my show. That's my show, right. is com combining singing, demonstrating singing, where I don't have to remember lyrics, I just make sounds, and, <laughs> and impart information because I've been studying the voice for over 50 years, so I have this lifetime of information that is not readily available, it's in my head, and it's my legacy. Um, and also make people laugh and, and feel happy. So that's the, the, the Lisa show that I usually do. It just doesn't have any dancing in it. So <laughs> for this summer, uh, I, I was, it was really fun to be able to dance and have people not make fun of me. Because growing <laughs> up, people would say, Lisa, you're not really, you're not, my mom would say, you're not a very good dancer. Or uh, I have a, a, a black friend, she goes, yeah, you just dance like a white girl. You know, just mm. people who just thought I, I didn't dance very well. And so to be able to dance and have people not think it was bad <laughs> and having people, like the orchestra, there'd be orchestra members behind me and they sometimes after shows, they'd go, oh, Lisa, we just loved watching you dance. You're so good. And I just couldn't take my eyes off you. And I went, whoa. So that, that kind of gave me that little bit of touchy healing I'd been looking for that... Yeah, I may be a white girl, but I still got something going on. Yeah. <laughs> and I could try new moves. I kept working on new moves all the time. Uh, there was the, what was the one where we're doing, uh, 
the one where he he sits and he has the drink Jurassic and Park. Looks at his phone. <laughs> yes. Jurassic Park. So that was where we really got to do our silly 1960s stuff. So yeah. I was I was on YouTube looking at the frug and the swim and uh, the pony <laughs> and looking at these old TV shows uh, that I used to watch from the, the black and white shows from the 60s, like Hullabaloo, um, just to you know, steal ideas on, and how to, how to make it look ridiculous, but, yeah. but still a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I love that part of the song where I, I think Dave pointed it out to me where you guys were just doing the crazy dances while Al's sitting there and uh, it lines up with the video of the, you know, the music video so perfectly. I love that so much. <laughs> I didn't get to see the music videos. There were times when I'd see a fan video and say, oh, I didn't know that was going on behind us. I I couldn't turn around, right? Right, So I was, oh, that's really interesting. Look at that. (laughs) Silly. Can't do it all. (laughs) I would love to hear more about, uh, so you you have Lisa Popeil's voice works, and you actually, you have coaching but you also have instructional videos. You do one-on-one Skype sessions. So it's really not just for people who are in LA. This is for worldwide. People can get lessons from you. It's true. I, I love Skype. I've been using Skype since the beginning and it just gets better and better. Uh, it allows me to work with people anywhere uh, at, on any topic voice related. So. I've always been interested in vocal health because that is such a huge issue for professionals. And though I work with a lot of complete beginners as well, when you're a musical theater performer, you're doing eight shows a week. It could be, I mean, that's a lot, not everyone does that, but it's, it, mm-hmm. that's a lot of singing every week. And it's a six month contract minimum, usually. Uh, it could be three months, but it's often six months or a year. And to keep your voice healthy so you don't have to leave the show and, and be replaced is a huge concern. And in rock tours, like, you know, making sure, helping Al not have vocal problems. So he, because when he has, vo- when his voice gets fatigued, it's, you know, it's very, it can be very upsetting. So I, you know, gave him, I brought some, some of my little tricks and tools with mm-hmm. me and, um, you know, gave him some advice that really, I think, helped him have a perfect voice by the end of the tour. So um, it's a concern for singer, professional singers. They worry about it a lot. And they often think that if I just use the right throat spray, I'll be fine. But in fact, throat spray doesn't touch the vocal cords. So it, it can give the illusion that you're better because it's moisturizing mm. the back of your mouth but it's not really doing anything. So I'm always researching, investigating, learning about the, the latest methodologies for vocal health, voice repair. Uh, I have some of my own that are not widely known and used uh, that, uh, that I lecture about, that I would like to do more research on, including mm-hmm. the use of ice packs, uh, thin round gel ice packs in towels after a show. Uh, nobody's using ice that I know of, but there are special straws wow. that are very helpful. There are wow. nebulizers. Uh, there, there's saline, different kinds of use in, nebulized saline that can really moisturize and cool the vocal folds. And just how to warm up or not warm up, uh, uh, you know, kind of exercises to do. So there's a lot in just the vocal reflux that's another big one a lot of people who eat late they have reflux problems which burn the vocal folds so i mm. 
I, and I had a big reflux problem about 10 years ago, so I'm always up on the latest uh, what, to, what to do, what not to do. Uh, so that's a whole little area. But I also work with speech. No matter how, uh, you know, whether we sing or not, speech is the basis of our lives. We take it for granted. And a lot of people either have uh, questions about the quality of their voice, whether it's too breathy, too loud, too nasal, hmm. ugly. It hurts when they speak. Uh, people tell them that there's something wrong with their voice. So speech beautification. I'm not a licensed speech therapist, though I, I know a lot about that field. Um, but I work with speech beautification quite a bit. And I incorporate that also into my singing lessons if I feel someone needs to change or improve their speaking voice because it's all the same tissues that are working. But I also work with accent reduction. Oh, I, wow. uh, one of my hobbies is linguistics. And originally, before I went into music, I was planning to be uh, a linguist. I was planning to go to Stanford and major in linguistics. Big story, I won't bore you. I didn't do that. I went, did psychology, <laughs> humanistic psychology, and then I focused on music, composition, piano, and classical voice because that's all they had at the college level then. And still now, really, it's still classical voice if you go to college. Um, and then that's and then Zappa, and then my album, and and um, and here I am. Uh, so all things voice I intrigue me. Uh, in fact, when I was about six or seven, I mumbled so badly that my mother hired an elocution teacher for me. And they actually had elocution teachers in, in those days. That was in the, the uh, early 60s. Hmm. And she was this woman who had blue hair, and <laughs> she had a very strange way of speaking, and of, you know, super affected sounding. And I remember doing then a story about Tommy, Tommy and his dog. But that was my first introduction into ch that you can change the way you use your voice or your tongue or your lips. Right. And I think that was really the very beginning. And then when I was six, I went to this theater school for kids. It was called Jack and Jill Players in Chicago. And we did dance and acting and singing. And I was just yelling, basically, and they would say, louder, Lisa, louder. <laughs> so by the time I was seven, I, I think I had nodules, meaning little calluses on my vocal cords. So that's when my mother said, okay, she's out of that program. I'm going to find a real singing teacher. So my whole life has been about the voice, about whether it's linguistics or dialects. I, I do voiceover work still. Uh, I, I love using my voice for different characters and mastering different English dialects or Australian, uh, French, German. I've done that my whole life, and I'm really good at it, but I've turned that into accent reduction, and I have a unique way of, of working with accent reduction, particularly for business. A lot of people are immigrants, and they feel that their native accent is reducing their ability to get or keep work. Oh, interesting. But that's, that's tough because that really mm. takes a lot of practice and dedication on the student's part because they've been speaking the way they speak English for as long as they've been speaking English. Right. It's easier to, to make changes to one's singing voice than it is to one's speaking voice or accent reduction, but I, I still love teaching it. So it's all available, anything voice-related, uh, you know, besides you know, throat cancer and surgery. And <laughs> right. I'm not a doctor, but I, I, I'm in the, the, the world of, of great laryngologists, doctors who f 
and surgeons who foc uh, focus on um, visualizing problems with, with cameras. In my research, I'm, I've got, you know, I could have my camera down my throat for four days. Oh, wow. Um, uh, yeah, I do it a lot. I've got some funny photos of me with this, these things in my throat. <laughs> uh, but that's to me, that's to me a good time. <laughs> that to me is like, I'm moving voice science forward, so go ahead. And I, I'm doing it myself. I'm putting the camera and that rod right. down my own throat. And I'd rather be in control of it than have some, someone else do it for me. And I, I can do it very quickly. And I can teach people how to do it so they, they don't gag. But it's not for everyone, I'm sure. We can get more information on popeel.com. What a great website. And get information there. I wanted to just comment on the fact that the only vocal coach that Al has worked with is you. I don't think that's true. Really? I don't I don't think it's true. He um he I heard him work with a CD, an exercise CD at the beginning of the tour which I did not give him. Okay. And he was losing his he was losing his voice. Mm -hmm. I said I don't think you should do that. Uh, it was real I said save it for the stage. And I gave him some more advice about how how I warm up mm -hmm. and how Monique and Scotty warm up and it's there's not much to it it's not a big deal I'm not one of those people that feels that that warming up is the key to good singing or it's the key to a great performance I think it's actually extreme it can be extremely tiring and if you're performing and singing almost every night it, it, it carries over and you don't have to do a lot of warming up so Hmm. Um, okay. once he, he took my word for it and once he stopped using that really intense CD, uh, he had no vocal problems. So, <laughs> uh, so obviously someone must've said, you've got to go see so-and-so. And when, he, and my guess is that he went to see so-and-so and that so-and-so gave him this CD and it was very intense and loud and exhausting and um and i'm glad he uh he stopped using it because then he sounded really good and he didn't have to <laughs> stress out about his voice i'm glad <laughs> too when you know how to sing the key is knowing how to sing and that's what i try to focus on as a voice coach is i want to i like to show people exactly what to do to sing so they their voices always sounds good even when you're sick that it's always under your control and that control gives you a sense of confidence and you don't have that anxiety, that, that luck factor. People who are just naturally talented, who have no technique, have good days and bad days. I mean, we all have good days and bad days. I don't want to give that impression, right. but there's that right. feeling of lack of confidence when you don't really know how to drive your car. So what I do is I show people what does what so that they can be a professional driver of their car and they'll, they'll stress out a, a lot less or not at all because their voice is like you get in the car you put the key in it goes it's a very mechanical thing at least the technique part of it is very mechanical and when it's you're consistent with it then you can focus on all the other things you want to focus on like not falling off the stairs while you're singing you know get, getting into the audience or or doing right. you know and tacky about doing getting in people's faces or sitting on top <laughs> of them or doing all the stuff the crazy stuff you want to do you're not worrying about your technique because it's just 
it's just a machine and it, it, it's it's consistent and standard and mm -hmm. it's great to not have to think about it um, and and have a voice that works each and each and every time well wow, I sound like a, an infomercial here <laughs> so that's my approach is I don't do a lot of exercises for the sake of doing exercises it's pointless and tiring <laughs> Lisa, what's really cool is people who live in the southern, the eastern southern U.S., they have a chance to see you. You're doing a workshop in January in Savannah, Georgia. I wish I was closer. I would totally go see one of your workshops. Oh, thank you. You can see the Lisa show as it, as it is now or as it is usually. Uh, it's a two-day <laughs> workshop, and it's going to be held at the Savannah Repertory Theater. And why there, one might ask? Well, uh, in Los Angeles, I had two extremely talented uh, students uh, in the 90s. They, they were teenagers at the time, and uh, they were a brother-sister team, Jen and Eric Bishop, and they moved to Savannah and have started the Savannah Repertory Theater. It's one of the few uh, repertory theaters. Uh, they've, they've done an, a wonderful thing for the community there, and I mean, they were so great. They used to live in, and work in New York and on Broadway, um, and so they're they're hosting this uh, this workshop. And I I love doing hosted workshops because when I've done my own workshops, like the Total Singer workshop, which I did this last January, I do everything myself, and I'm at the point where I I I love the control, but I'd rather you know if, if colleges uh, or schools or singing teacher organizations want to host me i'm there i'm there you That's know so even cool. if it's less lucrative for me i just want to show up and make and and make it happen and i do that quite a bit in europe too where let's say we have a we have a facility we have the people please come and do one day two days three days and uh, I, I don't have children and to me this this passing on of my knowledge about the voice is is really what i live for it is the, the focus of my, my work life. Uh, it's my passion, it's my calling. And so this, uh, being able to do something so practical, meaning this, the, the Strings Attached Tour, was, uh, was a, a surprise and a delight because I learned so, I'm an inveterate student, and so I learned so much about the real life of a singing performer. Right. Not just, you know, going from university and doing recitals and then teaching. I mean, I actually got to see what it's really like uh, as a professional singer. And even though it was three months, the, the vast knowledge that I gained, I, I, I'm just going to pass it on to people who are considering doing the same thing. They want to know, how do, we, how do you do that? What's, it, what's everyday like? Right. And, you know, what's what yeah. are the skills required that are different than what they might have learned in, in a college setting? So I hope I hope some people from the South would consider coming. It's all on my workshop page on my, my website. Also on my website, I have like 35 free vocal instruction videos that I made some time oh. ago. And some of my students will like to go, they'll, they'll go and watch all of them. And then when they'll come and have a lesson with me, they it's more of a review because they've actually learned so much by watching the free videos. I've got books. I've got a new book called Sing at the Top of Your Game, and that's published by a, a website called Sing Adaptive, 
and that's available on Amazon and got some nice reviews for that. It took me two years to write that one. Wow. I have another book called uh, Sing Anything, Mastering Vocal Styles, co-written with a colleague uh, in the Bay Area, Gina Latta Merlot. And that's really good for, for college classes. It's this idea of like, what makes a style different from another style? I've got the Total Singer video. I made that a long time ago in 1994. You can see me with really long hair and too much makeup. <laughs> and uh, I still sell quite a few of the Total Singers. Uh, and I've got a, a CD called a Daily Vocal Workout. Even though I'm, I'm not a big workout, you know, vocal exercise person, I had a, enough students who said, Lisa, would, uh, we really would like something that we could use every day, maybe driving to the car in L.A. Mm -hmm. traffic. So I created a daily vocal workout for females and males, and it's it'll also available as an MP3. And uh, there are people who use it and enjoy it and, and uh, feel like they're working on their voice every day. So I'm, I'm <laughs> always creating product, but may, my main thing is the workshops and the private lessons. And they can contact me right through my website if they have any questions about how we might work together. That's so cool. Yeah, I know one of our friends, another big Weird Al super fan, Mary Alicia, has done a Skype lesson with you, and she loved it. She she was saying Ooh. so many great things about it. Oh, oh, wow, that's wonderful. And and the, the timing, the only time it was a problem was it was um, the only time I had a Skype problem was I had a student who lived in the Andaman and Nicobar Islands. Ever heard of it? Wow. No. Nope. Me either. <laughs> I had to pull out the old atlas on that one. And the, the timing was 12 and a half hours difference. I didn't even Whoa. know there were time zones in the half hours, but there are. <laughs> and it's, it's in the middle of the Indian Ocean off the coast of, off the coast of India. And it's a resort location for for Indians, particularly South Indians, and they have monsoons all the time. And so that's the only time Skype did not work. There was just too much <laughs> static and rains and the Wi-Fi connection was, was not good enough. But everywhere else, Poland, great reception. New Zealand, it was like they were next door. Russia, no problems at all. And it's free. That part of it's the free part. And it just works. So right. Well. That's yeah, so cool. I have worked with Zoom <laughs> as well. For, I've done workshops on Zoom, which were pretty cool because you can videotape them. And then I can send the videotapes to all the participants. So I'm thinking about doing mm. another Zoom workshop. But usually it's for uh, singing teachers, uh, like an advanced course uh, for right. singing teachers. Um, on, on my work regarding belting, you know, how to take a chest voice up high. That's, there's a real interest in that topic, and I have a, a, a really good way of, of belting and teaching how to do it so it's safe and it's beautiful. It doesn't have to be loud, and it doesn't have to be ugly. As most singing teachers who teach belting, it's always loud, it's always nasal, and it's, it's pretty ugly and maybe dangerous. So I'm, I'm trying to revise that whole concept <laughs> that why does it have to be loud ugly and dangerous you know <laughs> maybe right. it can be done with there's many more colors so that's that's a current specialty of mine and and there's been a lot of interest in in that topic of belting <laughs> but i'll talk about you know i talk about you better stop me now because i'll talk about voice until the cows come home <laughs> total nerd about that well until the cows come home is is a good segue to the last thing i wanted to ask you about and that is your potbelly pigs that you used to raise. <laughs> okay. What would you like to know about the time they, they when they slept in bed with me? 
Uh, sure. <laughs> I just, I, I, I just, you know, your your brand doesn't seem like the one that would include raising pot-bellied pigs, and I would just love to hear, you know, the story behind that. You're right. It is not a, a natural connection there. <laughs> so I, I've always loved animals, particularly if they're small. And uh, in the early night, it was about 1990. There was this fad of, of having a pot-bellied pig as a pet, and I thought. I just started teaching at the college, and I had time on my hands. I thought, oh, I could, I, this sounds like a fun project. So I found some <laughs> pig partners, people who were actually zoned for agriculture and pigs and goats. And, and uh, we got, I put some money into finding some, a pig pair. And it just, it was like a hobby thing and was called Hollywood Potbellied Pigs. And it had the, I have the, still have the business cards. They were so cute. And unfortunately, they were illegal at the time to have in Los Angeles County, uh, but that didn't stop people from from having them. And there were lots of articles mm. about celebrities having pot-bellied pigs, you know, sitting on their couch <laughs> watching TV. With them. So, um, so my job was when the babies were born, I'd bring them to my house in in the city, and I'd have a playpen, and I'd have one or three of them, and then I would my job would be to humanize them, and then. Uh, sell them and so I was became quite the expert I've forgotten all of it wow. it's been so long but huh. I became quite the expert in, in pig <laughs> care and I would get little leashes for them and try to train them Aww. on the leash and try to train them to potty, potty train them <laughs> to go potty in a in a like a litter box it, it didn't I wasn't yeah. that successful um they, they still <laughs> pooped and peed where they wanted to but uh and then I realized there were some problems with them. Number one, they're not like dogs. They're more like cats. They really don't care about you. Uh, they only care about their comfort. <laughs> so they like right. heat. So I'd have this little, I have a picture somewhere. It's so cute of this little floor heater. And I had three pigs, baby pigs, stacked on top of each other against oh. the heater. <laughs> if they could jump up on the bed, they would. Uh, I'd come home and the bed would be made, except there'd be a lump or a, a bump. <laughs> under the covers at the bottom of the, at the foot of the bed so that they'd obviously boom gotten up gotten under the covers and were sleeping and it was just oh. it was the very cute and strange but my one of my favorite memories was when I had a baby pig who was uh, sleeping next to me in the bed you have to wear nightwear because their their hooves are sharp, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> and I woke up, and its little head was on my pillow facing me, and it was yawning. I just thought that was the oh. cutest thing ever. And because they don't eat meat, their breath was was kind of sweet. You know, it was felt like oh. hay, but it was right. sweet. And and I just and I would put my nose in their mouth at the, as they were yawning, and it was just adorable that is so cute they really do only care about food and and warmth and so you have to be very careful about your you know that everything's locked up because they, they're smart and they'll find a way to find your food and make a big mess right um, and they'll also ruin your gardening so you know think twice about having a pig and plus they got way big they got so much bigger than i wanted to um and yeah if they're not oh, yeah. trained on a leash you're going to hurt your back picking up a hundred pound pig. But oh. so it, and then it just, it, the bottom fell out of the pot bellied pig as pet market. And no, you know, the fad was over and I got out of the business, but I'd probably do it again, even though I, it was a money losing proposition because it was so 
fascinating. Again, I just learned so much about something yeah. nobody knows about, right. like especially a city girl. I grew up in an apartment in Chicago, so the idea of having pigs was, you know, it never even crossed my mind. <laughs> right, um, right. <laughs> and I met some really interesting people and, and pig partners and, you know, agricultural people and people who just loved having pigs as pets. So uh, that was a, a passing phase, as my mother would have said. Oh, it's just a phase, hmm. dear. <laughs> but a phase that I definitely did enjoy. I love it. Yeah. Well, Lisa, we, we are definitely going to be checking out popeel.com where we can get, like you said, the different CDs and DVDs and sign up for lessons and get information about your workshops and the free vocal tips. It's so exciting. Lisa Popeel's VoiceWorks, popeel.com. This has been so much fun. Oh, make sure to sign up for my vo- uh, my no- newsletter. Uh, send it only out about two or three times a year, but it's uh, if I have people's email address, they can see what I'm doing, where I'm at. It, it's just, it's become more about where I'm, where's Lisa, where's Waldo, where what part of the world <laughs> is she in? You know, I was just in Romania last week and in, in Cluj-Napoca in the center of Transylvania. <laughs> and then right before that, I was in Ravenna and Bologna and Venice. And so the, 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 uh, the newsletter is my way of staying in touch with people and, That's you know, great. seeing what, what's, what's hap, what's the haps with me. Right. Uh, so that'd be a great thing if people don't want lessons, but they get kind of mildly curious about what, what, what I'm going to be up to the come, you know, the next few months. So that's called the world's tiniest vocal newsletter. <laughs> I just signed up. So oh, thank can't you. Wait to, to hear about yeah. all your happenings. Please thank stay you. in touch, Lisa. It's been so much fun getting to know you over the tour, finally yeah. getting you on the show. We'll talk to you soon. So fun talking to you guys. Bye. Thank you so much to Lisa Popio for joining us for an amazing interview. For more with Lisa, you can check out Lisa Popio's VoiceWorks at Popio.com. You can get CDs and DVDs, workshops, and virtual one-on-one sessions with Lisa Popio herself. So cool. Dave, got to ask you, what do you think happened at the big Weird Al magazine photo shoot last weekend? I have no idea. It's too bad that we didn't get to go. I guess we'll never get to hear what happened. Yeah, you're... you're... Dave, my spatula's lighting up. My spatula's lighting up, too! I guess that means someone is calling our 347 Spatula official podcast hotline. Oh, Frank! Frank! Patch the caller through! Uh, Hey, how are you? This is Jeff McClellan. I thought I'd give the podcast a call in real time. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for calling. Hey, Jeff. (laughs) So you were at the photo shoot, the elusive photo shoot. I know you can't share too many details because it is still quite a big secret, but we would love to hear about your day. You know, what did it entail? Did you dress like Al? Tell us everything. Yeah, the the mysterious photo shoot. Uh, it was it was quite a time. Um, now, as we know, uh, Al uh, a few maybe a, a week and a half ago or so uh, tweeted out some details that basically said, uh, "Hey, do you want to be in a in a photo shoot with me?" And uh, you know the answer to that is always yes. Uh, <laughs> so we all know you know some basic details. Uh, we know that it's a photo shoot. We know that uh, it's very Al centric. Uh, we know the the basic idea behind it was you dress up as Al, right. and you know come to come to this place, and and you know a number of people will will be there too. So, um, you know beyond that, uh, as far as the publication and things like that are concerned, they asked us not to spoil it. It's nothing uh, like mind blowing. 
you know, there's no uh, top secret information. I don't, I don't feel uh, right. that will, you know, make you just kind of, you know, gasp or anything like that. But uh, <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a, it's a publication. It's a publication you've heard of before. Um, it's something that supposedly is going to be published uh, relatively soon. Um, you know, maybe a, a few months away. Cool. Um, but uh, you know, as far as the, the names and things like that are concerned, we'll, we'll keep that secret for now. The basic idea: uh, what happened? Uh, so this this took place uh, just a few days ago. Um, we got confirmation uh, as to you know who was in, uh, etc. And once that happened, you basically just kind of jumped into overdrive because the, uh, the the key to this was that you had to have your own Weird Al costume. Right. Um, and that included, uh, you know, glasses and a wig and a Hawaiian shirt. Um, and that the, that was kind of the basic – and a mustache, I guess. That was kind right. of the basic uh, <laughs> uh, cost, costume that, that they wanted you to have. Now, you could have some extra things, but they wanted to keep it very specific so you weren't showing up as – uh, you know, Surgeon Al, or you weren't showing <laughs> right. up as, as Amish Al or anything like that. They they wanted to keep it, you know, very specific to a time period and a, and a particular look. So this this may come as a surprise, but I don't just have a closet where I have my Weird Al costume, uh, you know, hanging out. So I so I had to put one together. Right. Maybe that's not maybe that's not the case for everyone, but uh, for me, that's. Uh, I, I had to do some searching. So, you know, I, I found what I was looking for and uh, hopped on a plane um, and, uh, you know, got there on, on Friday evening and the shoot was on a Saturday. Uh, we all had different call times. Uh, mine just happened to be uh, the, the earliest, uh, which actually ended up working out for me. I thought, you know, why can't it be, you know, three hours after the first people have to have to get in? But, but like I said, it, it, it did kind of work out. So uh, we went to... A sound stage in West Hollywood, uh, and we were all checked in, and they, you know, took our phones and put some some kind of stickers over the cameras so we wouldn't be taking any pictures while we were there. Hmm. The, what I heard when I was there, and I, you know, this was just what people were saying, that uh, there were about 600 people who had uh, who had applied for it. Now, were there 600 people there, or would, did they only limit it to 350? They limited it, so not everyone who applied got in. Supposedly, there were 350 people there. It didn't look quite that many to me um but you know i could be completely wrong so when we got in they had us check in and they they gave us like a section so depending on what your call time was and when you showed up you might have been anywhere from section a through i think section g uh is is how that worked so um and really all that uh all that meant was they had an idea of of how many people were there and if they needed to fill any spots if that was even possible Hmm. And then when we actually uh, went in and started doing the work, uh, they took us in by section. So uh, we were kind of hanging out. Uh, the weather was beautiful. You know, and, and again, this is no secret. Uh, I'm not giving away any kind of crucial information here. Everyone, you know, was, was dressed as Al. Right. So everyone <laughs> had their costumes. Uh, you know, it was, it was very surreal. Uh, I'm sure it was more surreal for Al, you know, who, you know, people are dressing up as. <laughs> now, did they have any extra, like, mustaches lying around in case somebody forgot a mustache or forgot a wig or their Hawaiian shirt? Or if you didn't bring everything, were you just, all right, that's it, you're out? You know, that, that's an interesting question because, uh, you know, the, the answer is that, yes, they did have some extra items. And I guess uh, people were making raids on... 
uh, the local costume shops and things like that to, to where it was kind of a, a buzz around the area. Like, why do people want so many brown curly wigs uh, you know, this, for, for this weekend? So uh, I, I think it was something where the 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 people, the organization who was who was sponsoring this shoot, uh, you know, was trying to 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 think about like what ifs. So th- there was a table that I did see, you know, some Hawaiian shirts kind of stacked up on. <laughs> there was a table where I saw, you know, some some wigs and things like that. Uh, but 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 I will say I don't think that anyone actually had to had they didn't have to break into them. They didn't have to use them because everyone came prepared, uh, which is. Uh, um, you know, just just overall, uh, having a little bit of, ex- of of experience in this type of thing, uh, not that usual. It's not that common. So people were very prepared. They're very excited. Uh, they really wanted to be there. So everyone yeah. came and, and they looked good. Some people some people brought accordions. Uh, most of the accordions were just a little toy accordions. Right. So they were. So we really messed up uh, Amazon's metrics for for a week. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because a lot of people had the exact same toy accordion, including myself. I can picture it. It's a, uh, like red and blue one. Yes, that's exactly it. Uh, you know, it was about it was about twenty one dollars on Amazon, right. and you know, it, it shipped in two days. So uh, there were there were quite a few of them there. So, um, but there were some full size, some real accordions there too, and and even a couple people who knew how to play them. So it made for some interesting downtime. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, people people were generally very very excited to be there. Uh, you know, we were there for probably a total of 5 hours. Uh, but uh, for for myself, just speaking for myself anyway, it certainly felt like it went very quickly. So in the 5 hours, are you taking pictures the entire time or is this all leading up to one picture? Uh, I don't know how much you can tell us, but can you answer those questions? Sure. So, so much of it was just kind of waiting around, okay. which is to be expected. Um, they did have uh, a food truck that was there that, that people were uh, frequenting. They had uh, some some other snacks that were laid out. I know you were interested in some bottled water. Yes. Uh, it exists. It exists. It wasn't, uh, you know, if, if I go to the local uh, Costco or something like that, I could, I could fool you into thinking that I got it from there because it was just a, a brand name. <laughs> Bottle of water, uh, nothing, nothing to get too excited about. It wasn't Aquafina. I can, I can, I can neither confirm nor deny. Okay, okay, understood. That, yeah, that was on my right. <laughs> <or anything. laughs> but they had, they had some snacks. Yeah, and and people were, you know, just we had a sing along. I guess uh, you know someone brought a a Bluetooth speaker and was was playing some music, and uh, people were generally, you know, very excited to be there. And was it with the different call times? Were there multiple different photos taken, or was it all for one big photo with everyone? So uh, there, there were different photos taken. We were all there, and the reason that we had the different call times was just so we didn't show up at the same time. Uh, I, I really believe that that was that was the the only reason for that. So what ended up happening is uh, we went went into the sound stage, and uh, you know we were all there for we were all there for for one big shot. Uh, and this is supposedly going to be like the cover cover image um, right. that uh, that will eventually be on there. So so I showed up local time uh, at eleven o'clock, maybe a little bit before, and Al probably showed up at about two. Uh, he and his family were there. Um, you know, he uh, walked out, came out to say hello to everyone, and of course, what would happen? Uh, 
I mean, the universe didn't end just because it kind of seems like, you know, merging realities or something like that. But uh, uh, Al showed up and, of course, everyone cheered. And I feel like he, you know, <laughs> was very appreciative, just as, as you might expect. Um, we got some instructions on exactly what we were going to do. There, there were times before this where um, some of the people who were putting it on uh, brought individuals um, who they thought looked unique or looked uh, looked interesting or looked you know particularly good, and I and I believe uh, some of them got individual photos. What they are going to use these for, I do not know. Hmm. Uh, but most of us were most of us were there for this one shot. Uh, so we went onto the soundstage. Al, of course, was in front, and then you know we. Uh, were, were placed, you know, somewhere in the, in this particular scene. Um, some people were, some people had some props, let's say, um, but most of us were were just there for, you know, this this giant, uh, very odd, uh, you know, photo <laughs> session where all of us, all of us were dressed the same. Uh, we all looked very similar. So uh, there was, I, I will say this, and I don't think this is getting anything, giving anything away. There were. Uh, probably a dozen children and they all looked adorable someone brought their dog and the dog was uh, the dog was also dressed as as al oh amazing uh, so that was you know that was definitely something you know a little bit unique and a little bit special so uh you know once we actually started taking pictures uh that probably only took about half an hour because you know they wanted to move people around and they wanted to you know, do slightly different things and, and giving a little bit of direction to, to some of the people uh, there about where to stand and where not to stand and where to look and where not to look and, and things like that. So we probably finished up at about maybe 4.30 uh, in, the, in the afternoon. And, uh, and after that, they said, well, you know, we're done. And, and uh, you know, we didn't really have any expectations as to what would happen next, but uh, Al was kind enough to uh, stick around and, and talk to people and sign some things and wow. uh, just shake some hands and, and things like that. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things that, you know, you don't uh, expect, uh, but, you know, you appreciate because it's it's not that much of a surprise when, when someone like Al does it because uh, that's just the kind of guy he is. And after that, you know, we went to, uh, we all went out to eat and uh, took some pictures dressed as Al and scared <laughs> some of the locals and uh, it was a, it was a real good time. That sounds like a blast. I wish I could have been there, Jeff. Yeah. Why weren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Jeff, one of the reasons why we weren't there is we were busy preparing for our big UHF screening with Jonah Ray coming up on this Saturday. And I'm so glad that you called in because you played a very instrumental role in this screening as well because you were the person who designed our poster. I, I will say that uh, I'm, you know, very appreciative of you guys for involving me in uh, in, in doing a little bit of, uh, of of work for this screening. It's it's I think it's going to be great. It's very exciting. Um, I don't want to take all the credit for it. Uh, just like when I worked on some of the uh, strings attached posters uh, over the over the summer, um, you know, I in general worked with some other people. You know, I did a little bit. They did. Uh, they did a little bit too, and and with this particular image, a, a friend of mine, um, Andrea Schiavone, uh, he's an Italian artist, uh, and I'm currently just working on a, a comic book with him. And uh, you know, I got the got the message from you guys that maybe you wanted to 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 put something together for your screening, and basically I said to him, you know, do you want to blow all of our deadlines? 
and uh, and work together on uh, <laughs> on on a weird Al poster. <laughs> and of course, the correct answer is yes. I I would like to you know shirk all of my responsibilities for for Weird Al related items. Uh, so uh, so I know that you guys wanted to have you know not just something that reflected the the movie itself, but was somewhat reflective of. Uh, you know, the podcasts and the Frank's 2000 inch TV kind of uh, theme that you have going on here. So one of the things that I, I wanted to do with that was, well, the, the kind of the image that I thought was to have this like very serene scene <laughs> that was kind of interrupted, you know, j- just kind of in, in the same way that UHF just kind of smacks you in the face when you see it. You might not <laughs> expect, uh, you know, what's what's coming but it's kind of like this, this slap to the face almost, and and that's kind of the 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 feel that I wanted to to get across with this poster. So we have you know this huge television, and Andrea uh, he suggested having like the uh, like the houses in the background kind of fly up on impact, uh, which I thought was a great uh, was a great addition there. So so what I, what I was responsible for was some of the basic layouts uh, and then, you know, some of the color corrections afterwards and some of the, some of the design elements that we put on the, the finished product. Uh, Andrea did. Well, if, if there's something that you're looking at this poster and you're saying, I like that, it's probably him. It's probably Andrea. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, so I want to give, uh, you know, all the credit to, to him on that. Uh, he, he really uh, helped out a lot too. So he did a lot of stuff. Um, Maybe some of the more noticeable stuff and, and some of the stuff that uh, gets some more attention, but uh, but but for my part, uh, I certainly enjoyed uh, you know putting some things together and 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 I like the results. I think I think it looks good, and you know I hope people buy some prints. I wonder if there are any available. They are very limited in supply, so there are some left. If people are interested, they can purchase one of these exclusive four color screen print limited edition posters so back on hold to you jeff and uh, we'll get to you in another hour or two all right guys uh good luck with the podcast thing i think it's gonna work out wow i'm so glad jeff called in what perfect timing yeah i can't believe it and what great timing not only for the magazine shoot but for our upcoming event on saturday january 25th with jonah ray and the screening of uhf those posters are just amazing There are only a couple left of the screen-printed posters. They will be in limited supply at the event itself, but if you need one for your collection, and trust me, you do, please let Dave or I know or email frank at 2000inch.com to reserve your poster. Help us get the word out. If you listen to the podcast and enjoy it, please tell a friend. And if they don't know how to listen, show them how. You can listen on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Atari 2600 cartridge, directly on our website, 2000inch.com, or the podcast app of your choice. And best of all, all of that is absolutely free. Make sure you subscribe so you do not miss an episode, ever. If you want an option that's not free, you can choose to financially support the podcast so you can help keep the great content coming. Head over to patreon.com slash 2000inch. Helps us pay the podcast bills, the hosting, and everything else. And it ensures that we can continue to do what we and you love. And that's this fun, amazing podcast for the next, uh, give or take, 1,962 episodes. Also, make sure you give us a follow at 2000inch on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and of course, patreon.com slash 2000inch. 
Check us out on our Facebook group and also visit us at 2000inch.com where you can get information about all of our guests, hear the latest episode, and hear every single back episode, including our bonus episodes. Remember to use the hashtag 2000inch and hashtag Gill and Chill when you post. And don't forget, you can always give us a call 347-SPATULA. That's 347-772-8852. Leave us a message any time of day or night or month or week or year. We love hearing from our listeners and may even play your message on the air. And we want to give a special thanks to Jim Kimo West. He wrote our amazing theme song. Check him out at jimkimowest.com. Well, I know what I'm doing this weekend. I am listening to Jim Kimo West sing our theme song over and over again. So I guess that's it, Ethan. I guess I'll see you next week for the podcast. No, Dave, you got to give me five bucks on Saturday. Oh, that's right. This weekend, we have coming up on Saturday, our screening of UHF with Jonah Ray. It is at Proctor's. It is in Schenectady, New York. If you hurry, you may still be able to find tickets at UHF.2000inch.com. I cannot wait, Dave. It's going to be amazing. You and I, we're going to interview Jonah Ray live in front of the audience. We're going to have a screening of UHF. We're going to have Yankaritas. And we are going to have vegan Twinkie Wiener Sandwiches. Weird Al approved because he does not eat meat. So they are vegan. So if Al happens to show up, and I hope he does, he can eat (laughs) the Twinkie Wiener Sandwiches provided by Burrito Burrito. Wait, if Al shows up, he's still got to buy a ticket, right? Absolutely. This week's episode brought to you in part by vegan Mexican restaurant Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York, home of the two-pound double-wrapped in a quesadilla Burrito Burrito. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito, your Burrito Burrito. Find them at burritosquared.com and at burritosquared on Instagram. And remember, not every burrito is a Burrito Burrito Burrito, but every Burrito 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 can be Burrito Burritoed. Dave, they're going to have burritos there too, so... Maybe you could get a Twinkie Wiener sandwich inside a burrito, 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 burrito. Ooh, will it be burrito, burrito? It better be. I'm excited to finally get to try burrito, burrito. I'm excited to try a Yankarita, and I'm excited to see you and to see Jonah Ray, and I'm not excited to give you $5. <laughs> That was Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 38-inch. Oh, those young people. They don't know what they're missing.